the Blaze Radio Network. On Demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Okay, I think I just goodwill hunted the uh, math equation on the uh, MIT chalkboard. I think I have it cracked here. Uh, It goes like this. HCP plus NYAG equals either TP or MS. I'm not sure. Uh, So, so, you know, HCP stands for Hardcore Progressive plus NYAG, New York Attorney General. (sighs) I was thinking because of the crappy... Leftist policies, maybe toilet paper, total pervert. But because he's such a leftist progressive, and I kind of equate that to a disease, I thought MS would be good. Not for the disease, but uh, for uh, misogynistic sadist. I'm not sure if there is some sort of a New York Attorney General secret oath that they have to take. You know, that we're not aware of. Do they publicly swear in front of the cameras and then slip back and head down to a basement, taking some sort of a secret candlelit blood pack to treat women as sex objects? I mean, first it was Elliot Spitzer and now Eric Schneiderman. He's the latest member of the New York Attorney General Perv Pack. Didn't we have McGreevy also? That was New Jersey, though. So it's just across the river. Schneiderman was accused of sexual assault yesterday by four women, and it took three hours for him to offer his resignation. Three hours. How does this make sense? I mean, Schneiderman is the noted and celebrated Me Too activist and champion of modern-day feminism. Look, he even said this, and I quote, a year before Roe versus Wade, I graduated from high school. I went to Washington, D.C., and I got a job working in an abortion clinic. I learned an important lesson at a young age. If a woman doesn't have the right to control her own body, she is not truly equal. She is not truly free. You see, he's implying that being pro-life is equivalent into making women slaves. So, I mean, that guy's woke. Well, I mean, it doesn't exactly jive with the language he's allegedly using in private. One of the four really credible accusers said Schneiderman would beat her until she would call him master. Oh, and she also uh, he also dated a uh, woman from Sri Lanka uh, and um, he would call her his little brown slave. So he's so woke. He's so progressive. This is just the tip of the iceberg in a list of accusations that includes serious assault charges. Hmm. That doesn't sound too progressive. Is bigotry and misogyny now part of the left's midterm strategy? I'm I'm not really sure. For years, Eric Schneiderman has been the gatekeeper for the progressive left. He's been one of the main actors pushing progressive policy, actually trying to move the party away from traditional Democrats into really hardcore leftism. Uh, He's, you know, he's he, he doesn't like the center. He doesn't like the center. He likes to play dangerously on the edge. Why do I have a feeling this isn't the last progressive scumbag to be exposed to their 
in their hypocrisy. Here's a guy who just won awards. I think he was, I don't know, named Women of the Year there last year or the year before. I mean, there are so many people on both sides that really fight hard, but they don't believe. They don't believe all their identity politics. They're sanctimonious and holier-than-thou narratives. They don't. They just weaponize a narrative. It's a means to an end. And thankfully, his end came yesterday. It's Tuesday, May 8th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Did you read the story from the New Yorker? A good chunk of it. It's uh, it's a long, detailed <laughs> it, it, it story. Is, it is worth the entire read. What was longer? Does it the amount of time you need to actually read the story, or the amount of time from when it came out to when he resigned? Uh, it's pretty. They're pretty close. They're pretty close. Yeah. Pretty pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. This is unbelievable. Last month, this guy. You know, congratulated Time magazine for their joint Pulitzer Prize for covering sexual harassment. The brave men and women who spoke up about the sexual harassment they'd endured in the hands of powerful men. Without these women, there would be not the critical national reckoning that's underway. Hmm. Trouble. <laughs> you know, the problem was here is he um, he said things like that, and that made old girlfriends go. I, I, I can't take it anymore i can't sit back i can't right? take it anymore i can't sit back and and take it anymore so four women came out all of them went on record um another one came out uh but she didn't want to go on the record because she didn't want her name involved all of them said they repeat that he repeatedly hit them uh often after drinking and doing drugs mainly in bed never with their consent uh, they said it was assault, and boy, it it seems like it. But they have doctors verifying that they had to go to the hospital afterwards or go mm. to the doctor. Um, one woman uh, it was slapped so hard across the ear in her face uh, that her ear was bleeding, had to go to a doctor for it. Her ear mm. wasn't the same for months. She was also choked, uh, you know, because, uh, well, you know, because that's so exciting. Uh, she was fully clothed. Uh, just standing in the bedroom and he said you're my little whore and then he slapped her across the face and then when she tried to push back he took his arm and put it over her neck and forced himself on her uh and uh, almost choked her to death which was you know which was nice and then oh and then he also said he was going to kill her uh Mm. if she uh, told anybody or if uh, she left him um Uh, He said in a statement yesterday, in the privacy of intimate relationships, I've engaged in role playing and other consensual sexual activity. No, no, not according to all the people that you were engaging in sexual activity with. It's one um, almost vital part of consent is the other party consenting <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. no well he mm-hmm. explains that later okay. according to one of the girlfriends um he said um in fact it wasn't the girlfriend it was the only one that actually stood up uh she went on a she, she met him at a party and then his security guard he said you want to go to another party and she said sure and his security guard drove to uh his house 
and there was no party there. It was just him. And um, uh, they um, they started making out, as she said. They started making out, and then he slapped her, and then he, you know, said, you know, you're a, you're a little whore, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're a dirty little slut. You want to be my uh, my whore, she said. Suddenly, at least in my mind's eye, he drew back. And there was a moment when I was like, what is happening? She said, then he slapped me across the face hard, twice, open-handed. I was stunned. Uh, she said the, the blow was so hard that it left a red handprint. She screamed, what did you just do? She started to cry. I couldn't believe it, she recalled. For a split second, I was scared. She knows that all in her years of dating, she has never been in a situation like the one with Schneiderman. He just hit me. Uh, when she told him that she wanted to leave, she recalls he started to freak out, saying, I'd misjudged you. I, I, you'd be really surprised. A lot of women really like this. They don't always think they like it, but they do. And then they'll ask for more. <clears throat> Just a wonderful little love story, seems like. You know what's amazing is these women were all, they're all very prominent. They're all very progressive. They all are Harvard-educated, Princeton, Yale. These are not dummies. They're all very, very successful. And yet, except for this one, they stayed with him. Yeah, for sometimes multiple years. Yeah. Stayed with Which him. Which is, uh, it's so strange. It's But it's also when, pretty typical for abuse victims, Abuse. Right? Yeah. I mean, one of them was down to 108 pounds. She had lost 30 pounds mm. because he kept calling her fatty. And so they, he, would, he would humiliate them. He would um, uh, mock them, uh, tear them down all the time. I mean, it was, you have to read this. This is, this is absolutely incredible. Uh, Schneiderman was violent. He also made often made sexual demands. He was obsessed with having a threesome. He said, I have nothing to look forward to if you don't arrange this. And he would hit me until I agree. Sometimes he'd tell me to call him master and he'd slap me until I did. She is, she was born in Sri Lanka, has dark skin. And she said, he started calling me his brown slave and demand that I tell him that I was his property. Um, he was then cutting off my ability to uh, breathe. We rarely had sex without him beating me. He's a sexual sadist. And yet, for some reason, well, it's abuse. It's horrible. He told her to get plastic surgery to remove scars uh, on her torso that resulted from an operation. He criticized her hair, said she should get breast implants, buy different clothes. He mocked her friends as ditzes. Uh, when the women attended a birthday celebration for her, he demanded that she leave just as the cake was arriving. She said, I began to feel like I was in hell. Then his emotional state seemed to worsen after the 2016 presidential election. He had counted on forging an ambitious partnership with the White House led by Hillary Clinton. Instead, the presidency had gone to Donald Trump. Schneiderman's office had sued Trump for uh, Trump University for civil fraud and Trump had countered suits uh, Schneiderman personally uh, on the morning of January 19th, the day before Trump's inauguration. Schneiderman called uh, from a hospital emergency room to his girlfriend and said, 
He had been drinking the night before and fell down. He didn't realize he had cut himself, got up and uh, went to bed. But when he woke up, he was in a pool of blood and it hadn't stopped bleeding yet. She said, I, I understand how incomprehensible it may be that, that I stayed in an abusive relationship for more than a year. But I now see how independent women get stuck in one. Uh, the physical abuse happens quickly. He's drunk. You're naked. You're at your most vulnerable. It's disoriented. You lose a little bit of who you are. She kept telling herself that she could help him change. She tried to get him to see a therapist. And at times she blamed herself for his behavior. I was scared what he might do if I left him. He said he would kill me if we broke up. Now, here's the you, you just have to read the whole thing because it is really, truly amazing. Um, but. He was he's accused of prescription drugs. You know, they would go fill their prescription for, uh, you know, Xanax or whatever. And he would take half of it. He's denied all of this, by the way. But it seems pretty buttoned up. Um, it's Ronan Farrow, by the way, uh, who did all, you know, so much of the other recent yes. reporting on this topic. Um, she said um, that they started these women started to contact each other. I wish somebody had warned me. I wondered who's next. I was not planning to come forward until I found out there was another woman. The silence of the women before me meant that I suffered too. I felt I would not be able to live with myself if I heard him doing this to another woman years or months from now. So they sat together. They decided they were going to go out. But listen to this. A number of them were advised by their girlfriends to keep the story to themselves arguing that Schneiderman was too valuable of a politician for the Democrats to lose. They described the response as heartbreaking. When Schneiderman heard that she had turned against him, she said he warned her that politics was a tough and personal business and she better be careful. She took that as a threat. So what really has changed? Yeah, I mean, one of the, to me, one of the most powerful and disgusting moments in Chappaquiddick, the movie, yes, is when, you know, after obviously Mary Jo Kopechny is lost, she, they come back and they kind of tell the rest of the house, the party house, these are her friends, hey, you know, look, something happened, here's what happened, and one of her friends uh, says, um, how do we protect the senator? That's her reaction to her friend dying. How do we protect the senator? The senator killed your friend. At least is very highly responsible for her death. And in that particular case, they didn't necessarily know that. They didn't know that on that day, at that time. This one, their friends have evidence. They mm. all have pictures of the abuse they all have evidence of it. They go to their friends and say, you know, I've been talking to his other girlfriends. He's beating women. He's beating women. And your friend says politics more important. You you're in two abusive relationships. You're in an abusive relationship with him. And quite honestly, an abusive relationship with your friends. By the way, for those keeping track at home, two of the last three New York governors have had to resign or abandon re-election due to scandal. The New York State Comptroller's immediate predecessor went to jail, and now Schneiderman, that means three of the of New York's last five independently elected state constitutional officer, officers have resigned in disgrace. 
But other than that, it's going well. Oh, progressivism works. Mm-hmm. It works. All right. Let me talk to you a little bit about filter by. If you have bad allergies um, or anybody that you work with or that, uh, y- you know, you live with has bad allergies. When was the last time you as an employer or you as a homeowner changed the air filter in your home? U.S. companies lose $250 million a year just from employees that suffer with allergies. $250 million a year. Now, the changing of the air filter can make a world of difference in the workplace for those who have allergies, but also it will save you a ton of money because if you don't change your air filter, they get all clogged up and it makes the HVAC system it's just really hard and it helps them burn out fast. Air filters are now available the easy way. Filter by America's leading provider of HVAC filters for homes and small businesses because they make it really easy to improve the quality of the air you breathe. Plus, they save you money because, you know, the rare and tear on your HVAC system isn't there. All of the air filters manufactured right here in America, they're shipped for free within 24 hours. And you can even set up an auto delivery and save 5%. And you're never going to need a reminder uh, because it'll just come to you and you'll just be like, ah, okay, I changed the air filter. 600 sizes are available, including custom options. And you're going to find the right filter for your home or your business at filterby.com. That's filterbuy.com. Filterby.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. We're just talking about the primaries that are uh, happening today. West Virginia, Indiana. There's a third one in there, Stu. There's a bunch. There's a bunch. I mean, the big ones that really count. Uh, The primary, for instance, in West Virginia. I I mean, I don't know. You want the establishment guy or do you want a crazy guy? And and there's three of them. There's there's three choices. Blankenship is the guy you're talking about with the China people ad. Uh, the the famed China Crazy. people approach to electoral politics. Uh, Sarah, get that ready here so we can play that in a second. Okay. You have it? Go ahead. This is- Hi, I'm Don Blankenship, candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Swamp Captain Mitch McConnell has created millions of jobs for China people. While doing so, Mitch has gotten rich. In fact, his China family has given him tens of millions of dollars. Mitch's swamp people are now running false negative ads against me. They are also childishly calling me despicable and mentally ill. The war to drain the swamp and create jobs for West Virginia people has begun. I will beat Joe Manchin and ditch cocaine (laughs) Mitch for the sake of the kids. Uh, I love this. First of all, he would not beat Joe Manchin. Uh, I mean, I think you're looking at another Alabama uh, if you go with this guy. That's what both uh, Donald Trump and Donald Trump Jr. both believe. Yeah, well, I I mean, this this guy is uh, this guy's frightening. China people. And, uh, you know, they're spreading lies about me in their campaign. And also, also, they call me insane. Okay, well, okay, you're not denying that. There's a separation there. That's not part of the false charges. No, there's false ads. (laughs) And in addition to that, they are saying things like, I'm mentally unstable. Now, by the way, for some reason, he wouldn't come on the show today. Uh, Oh, did he say no? (laughs) I know we asked. I didn't hear. uh, Yeah. uh, Yeah. 
I'm pretty sure he said no, Stu. Oh, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. It would have been nice to talk to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, these these races are impossible to dissect. We're going to have uh, Frank Luntz coming up here in a, in a couple of minutes to kind of tell us what's the state of this, what, what do the polls look like going into these races today. But, I mean, like, I, you look at the, you know, uh, Indiana, for example. Three three people going back and forth. I, I looked at the the profiles of these guys. I would have absolutely no idea to choose. And if you're in Indiana today, good good luck out there. Hope you've done your. I hope you've done, hope your, you've homework, done your homework. Better. God, but we don't know. Who you, I don't know who you should choose. All right, back in a minute with poll numbers and what it means. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. You know, I'm not sure if labels labels mean anything or actually they maybe they have more power than ever. If you are a, you know, you're somebody, you know, who is, uh, who's part of the establishment. Well, I don't want that guy. Well, you're, uh, you're, uh, you were a Tea Party guy, but you have kind of rocked the boat. And I don't, I don't know. What does that mean? Does that mean you got better? You got worse? What does that mean? Um, and, and there's crazy people now running on, on all sides. And, you know, New York is putting away yet a, another progressive politician today. So we just have the best of humanity running. <laughs> um, and we're looking for signs of, of hope, looking for things that we can count on. What does it mean if Blankenship wins in West Virginia? And what are the odds of that we have frank luntz uh founder and chairman of the luntz uh, uh global about the primary elections today frank which which are the ones that you think are the most important to watch today well yeah i've and i don't know if today is the most important but i'm watching what happens in ohio for the same reason that you've got uh people from uh what you would call the establishment former elected officials who are coming back in particularly the uh, the former senator from the state who wants to be the governor uh, in West Virginia. I am going to watch to see if Republicans nominate a uh, a convicted felon. Uh, <laughs> Has it, that it, happened before? Do you know, Frank? It must have. I mean, and, and it, you know that the place. I, I don't want. My normal inclination would be to tell a West Virginia joke. This is how much I've changed. I'm going to let that one pass. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations, Frank. That's amazing. You, so what would you, you know? That's how much I've changed. But you know that that voters on the Republican side are still so fed up with the establishment, with that label, and the, the idea of people mm-hmm. who've been around for so long that they haven't brought about the change they promised, that they will vote for the most change-oriented, the most extreme candidate, there are people who will vote uh, for someone because they were convicted of a crime. Because it's their way of saying, to heck with all of you, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And the problem with that is that you feel really good when you vote, Mm -hmm. but in the end, what do you actually get done? I'm watching now, uh, and I got good numbers for your listeners. This is the first time you've had me on when I actually have good news. <laughs> that Donald Trump's favorability is up, that his job approval is now at 44%, which is the best it's been at any time in the last 12 months, that he is actually approaching a majority 
who like what he's doing, even though his favorability is only at 40%, and there's a message there Mm -hmm. that sometimes how you do things is as important as what you do, Mm -hmm. and that people still look at what he says and what he does with concern while they like what he's doing. So is it possible? A couple of things. First of all, do you see the poll that came out yesterday about uh, the, the, the right track, wrong track? This, he, Trump is now experiencing numbers that at no time did Obama experience on right track, wrong track. There's, I feel it. I feel it in my focus groups. I feel it in the research that I'm doing, that there is a shift that's coming, and it's because of the economy that people really do feel better off. They really do think next year will be better than this year. They're beginning to feel the tax cuts, and they see that a lot of the promises are being kept. But, and I always do this, so I can't make everyone fully happy. <laughs> he would be close to 60% job approval yeah. if he wasn't constantly insulting the people he doesn't like. Yeah. And it is very entertaining. And it is very funny. Every time he uses the word Pocahontas, I laugh. <laughs> there is a painting in the Capitol of Pocahontas, and I sh- go up to it and I say, everybody, that's Senator uh, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> half the people laugh and half the people want to throw me out of the Capitol. <laughs> that said, that's not really what we should be about. So is, and, is, there, is there a possibility, are you feeling this at all, that... We're starting to kind of get used to him a little bit more. For instance, some things are paying off. I would be much more concerned about what he was going to do this week with Iran if I hadn't seen him do some of these things before that seem crazy and dangerous, but he's just pulling them off. He brought Korea to the table. Right. He got China to back down. He is getting Western Europe to come to his point of view rather than the other way around. Right. Things are happening. They're considering uh, reforming food stamps on Capitol Hill and adding a work requirement to that and to welfare, which is what Americans want. They've been waiting for. We had it, and then Barack Obama removed it. And that's going to be a vote later this week. There's a rescission package, which means that they're going to cut more waste for Washington spending. These are the things that he ran on. These are the promises that he gave to people who live paycheck to paycheck, struggling to get by. Right. So they see a difference. Frank, let me go back to West Virginia and Blankenship. Uh, Is there, do you feel in any of the polling that you've done, are are people, because I'm torn, if I didn't care about the country, I would vote for Blankenship because I would think, you know what, it's all worthless anyway. I think it'd be funny. Put that guy in uh, because it's a show. Is there anything to say about that? Or are people really, um, are they embracing the China people? Or are they just embracing somebody who will go in and break the system? Those people who are voting for him believe the system is broken. And so breaking it is just the next step. They, they see themselves as participating, in essence, almost in a revolution. And there is a time uh, in your career when you may have argued for that. I, I think you know that I give you credit for creating the Tea Party. I really do. Well, because you spoke to people's anger, their frustration, their fear for the country and where it was headed. 
and you gave voice that did not exist. But there is a constructive outcome to that, a change in the House, eventually a change yes. in the Senate, and a change in the presidency. Correct. This, I, I, I know him a little bit, and I don't care what he says. I know what he did, and I have a problem with it. Blankenship. And the, yes, yeah. and I think if the public really understood it, they'd have a problem with it, too. But now, and this is, this is a deeper point, do we trust our justice system? Do we trust the FBI? Do we trust the CIA? No. We now have lost faith in those institutions, in the legal institutions, that are meant to keep the country running. So we don't trust Congress. We don't trust the media. We don't trust our legal system. Where do we go from here? I don't know. Frank, I'm looking at the polling uh, for the West Virginia race. Really, the only piece of evidence that we have that Blankenship has a chance at this race is an internal poll that was leaked from one of his rivals. And normally, you leak polls showing you're doing really well, but perhaps was this leaked because they want uh, they wanted Donald Trump to jump into this uh, and, and, and say that Blankenship was a bad guy. Do you have any thoughts on that? It's possible. At this point, I don't believe primary polls because the turnouts are so low. And this is one of the reasons why Trump's numbers were always underestimated in the primaries and underestimated on Election Day, that there may be people who are voting for him that won't acknowledge it because of his background. It's really dangerous. Let us at least say this. He has become a credible candidate, and it is possible that he will win. I don't think he does. But it's still possible. Any chance of him? Any chance of him beating Joe Manchin? He will not beat Joe Manchin. Joe, West Virginia hates Barack Obama. West Virginia hates Hillary Clinton. But they're willing to give Joe Manchin a pass. Yeah. They know him as governor. They've known him as senator. It will take a great Republican um, upset to beat Manchin. I think actually North Dakota is much more likely to flip. Indiana is more likely to flip. If we didn't have an, an, uh, an insane situation in the Missouri governor's race, that seat is more likely to flip. What we're not, and i someone who believes that Democrats could win the Senate, but I can also make a case now, six weeks after I made that prediction, that Republicans could pick up two seats in the Senate. Wow. I don't think West Virginia is one of them. All right. Is there is there anything that we should be watching for as the results come in that you say it's a warning sign or a positive sign for the future? I don't think that today is significant enough. I don't. I just in looking at states that are up this week and next week, these are not the weeks where I'm waiting up till two in the morning to get exit polls to see why people voted the way they did. To me, the biggest, the biggest, most significant polling data is the fact that Trump's job approval Uh is starting to approach 50%. Frank, one last question. You do this all over the world. Are we different than the rest of the world uh, when you're talking to people? Is this the general feeling that you're getting from people all over the world? Or we better, worse, or about the same? We used to be the most optimistic. When I was at Oxford for three years, America was the most optimistic country, and it drove the Europeans and the Asians nuts. Crazy, yeah. Now we're the most pessimistic, and they can't understand why. Wow. Amazing. Frank Lutz, thank you so much. Talk to you again, my friend. Got it. So you want, you want, I mean, you really want to know how despicable people can become. More than one million children are victims of identity fraud in 2017. 
Now, this, according to a new report, the most common perpetrator was a family friend, somebody who knows the family with limited to no financial history. Children are the most likely to become victims of new account fraud because they, nobody picks it up until they go and try to get a, you know, a loan. And then man, when they try to go out and buy their first car or they get, you know, their first loan for school or whatever, their credit history is destroyed. There are so many threats in today's connected world that one leak is all it takes for the the floodwaters to start rolling in. That's why the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats to your identity and to your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. If you have a problem, they have agents who are going to work to fix it. Now, nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But the new LifeLock with Norton Security is able to uncover threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use the promo code BECK for an additional 10% off your first year. That's promo code BECK. Get an additional 10% off now at 1-800-LIFELOCK or LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Glenn Beck. There is an amazing story um, that I read about a week ago, and I wanted to see if we could get the guy on. and he's going to be joining us in a few minutes. It's incredible. He was little in Germany growing up. And he and his mother and his father were taken to Auschwitz. His mother was separated and she was sent to the gas chambers. And his father was approached by a guard afterwards and said, your wife wanted me to give this to you. He opened it up, and it was the last letter of his wife before she was gassed. I mean, who was the guard that delivered this? She went to the guard and said, please find my husband. Here's where he is. Give this to him. And when you read it, it is the most stunning letter you've ever heard. The little boy never wanted to see the letter. He was afraid of the letter at first when he was little. His father had told him that your mom had written a letter. He didn't want to hear it. 11 years old, he's not interested. All throughout his life, it's brought up again. His father says, you know, you could read the letter. And he says, no, no, no. His father dies. He's going through his his father's stuff. And in a book, I think, tucked inside is this, this piece of paper. And it's all yellow. And he knew exactly what it was set it aside, had the courage to read it. And it's powerful. It's unbelievably optimistic, hopeful, beautiful, especially when you know where it was written. But even if it was written on a beach somewhere, it is beautiful. So we're going to have him uh, come on and tell us the story of his mother and this letter. And I'll share the letter with you coming up in just a little while. Stand by for that. Um, but did you see the story um, here out of South Lake, Texas, which is just a suburb right here by our studios? 
a South Lake, a South Lake couple was charged with arranging for a five-year-old West African girl to work in their home for more than 16 years without any pay or education. What? Yes. Mohammed Tour and his wife, Denise, both 57, appeared in federal court in, in Fort Worth yesterday and were charged with forced labor. If convicted, they'll, they'll face a maximum of 20 years in federal prison. Apparently, the girl uh, escaped the home with the help of some neighbors. She was raised in the house she, from five, but she was a slave. So here is a, a, a trafficked slave still from Africa coming to the United States. By the way, the couple, I think they're, I think they're African-Americans. Uh, hello? Yeah, I mean, just like you know, they talk about how the stuff with Schneiderman, for example, that came out today, with the sexual assault, not necessarily about sex, right? It's about power. It's the same thing with slavery. Slavery is not about race, necessarily. I mean, we've seen, you know, you've seen stories about this. You talked about one last week. One of the first, was it the first slave in America? The first slave in America. Was actually owned by an African-American. Yeah. Um, And here we go again. That is the story that I thought of when I read this last night. Mm. I thought it's, 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 it's just a flaw in human nature. It's not the guns that are killing people. It's not... You know that some, you know that this race is racist and this race is not. It's a human condition. These are human conditions, and we are missing the heart. That's what has to change for the world to change. Glenn Beck, Mercury. Love, courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Now, don't let socialists tell you that real socialism has never been tried because it's just not true. Over the weekend in July, over the course of four whole days, the Marxist doctrine will finally be tried at the four-star Hyatt Regency McCormick Park in Chicago for the Socialism 2018 National Conference. Get your tickets right now. $50 for a student rate. You have to bring your student ID. $85 for the early bird rate. And the solidarity rate will run you $150. By the way, for $250, you can have the finest, most luxurious proletariat treatment imaginable with the sustainer plan. You know, sustainer like how the Soviets sustained crops during periods of collectivization, which was really sustaining the conference kicks off thursday july 5th you know the day after independence day with a speech from third wave feminist uh demit uh demita uh, frazier i love her and all that she does the speech is titled decolonizing socialism getting radically organized so we can be free uh Now, here's a taste of what the guests and the audience can expect through the lens of black radical feminist perspective and using historic, cultural and material examples. The presenter offers cautionary tales of 
brilliant failures and questionable successes of progressive and radical organizations dedicated to a vision of radical economic equality. We'll look at how the failure to address the full impact of white supremacist hegemony has had in its and continues to have an effect on the efforts at radical and progressive coalition relationship building that is necessary for fundamental substantive substantive subs for big change. Boy, this sounds great. Amy Goodman's going to be there. She's the host of Democracy Now. Um, and uh, and a so-called journalist. Pulitzer Prize-winning historian and professor. He's got to be great, or she. Who am I to judge? And Boots Riley, the uh, the rapper and director. Do you have all of Boots' work? Uh, I, I do. I am missing one of his works. Um, but all the rest of the works I have, whichever one you were to ask me about, would probably be, be the, the one, one you I didn't, didn't have, have. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. So hotel rooms are going to cost you about three hundred and fifty-five dollars. I'm sorry, I'm using. Why would I use dollars? The Socialist Conference, twenty-four million eight hundred and fourteen five hundred and two Venezuelan boulevards. So, oh, that's uh, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And seeing that you only in in Venezuela now make two million boulevards a year. A uh, month, uh, right? Two, it's 2.5 uh, no. per month. Is it month? Yeah, it's, uh, at least those are the numbers. You oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yesterday, yeah. 2.5 million a month because bread is 3.5 million. Yeah, it's going to be a little bread. more than a month's salary. Yes, yeah, okay. it's going to be a little bit more. All right. Well, the communist comrades can uh, can just, just relax in luxury at one of the three restaurants, a hotel bar and a to-go cafe. Of course, comrades can have their food delivered via Instacart. And there's a Trader Joe's right around the corner for vegetarians and vegans and those who are lactose intolerant because, hey, socialists are people, too. But don't stray too far. You know, the neighborhood around the luxurious uh, hotel is a bit dodgy, but no problems because, you know, comrades stay in your room. Enjoy the complimentary Wi-Fi, the functional plumbing, the air conditioning, the flat screen television, the proper bedding, the gorgeous views of the sunset over the city. You know, all the things that those who are trapped in countries like Venezuela or Cuba can't enjoy, but you can and Karl Marx would be so proud. It's Tuesday, May 8th. You're Why? listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Why? Why? I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing if you're like, hey, Venezuela is this great experiment for socialism. It is the socialism of the 21st century. Okay. All right. Well, now you see the results. Where are you? Why are you not going, hey, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute, what went wrong there? How did we go wrong? What did we miss? They just move on as people are starving to death. Anyway, can we talk about something happy? Well, <laughs> this is a hard turn, but it is actually happy. Um, I read a story about a woman who died in the Holocaust at Auschwitz. I know, I know, it, trust me, it gets really happy and positive. And it's a story of a mother, a son, and a father that are taken to Auschwitz uh, out of the ghettos. And mom, she's on her way to the shower room, and she writes a letter to her husband and son and gives it to uh, a guard. And the guard actually, for some unknown reason, delivers it to the father. It goes unread for decades by the sun now 
it is it is out and uh, you can see it in a museum in the uh, the Holocaust Museum in Washington DC and it is a must read it is one of the most inspiring things i've i've ever read and it would have been inspiring if it you know would have been written at you know sunset on a honeymoon not on your way to the gas chamber it is beautiful the sun uh is is frank Frank uh, Grunwald, and uh, he's on with us now. Hi, Frank. How are you? Good morning. Good. Uh, Good to hear your voice. It, what an uh, what an absolutely amazing story. You live in in in, in Indianapolis now, right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, and how old were you when you and your your mother and father were taken to Auschwitz? Uh, I was um, about eleven. So you have pretty good memories of it. Oh, excellent. Yes. Um, So can you tell me, before we get into the verbiage of the letter, tell me who your mom was, who your dad was, and, 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 and what this experience was like? Well, she was, um, you know, I knew her, of course, uh, really well, because she and I had a good, really good close relationship. Um, both she and my uh, brother and I had a a very tight relationship and she was just a very elegant uh, emotionally and intellectually just a very elegant um, person that uh, was full of uh, positive um, attitudes um, positive respect for everyone and absolutely refused to be considered a victim in any way so no matter what happened to her or to us, we were always uh, told uh, to keep our chins up and to be uh, proud of who we are and never feel like we are being victimized by anyone. So you remember getting off of the train in Auschwitz? I remember clearly. Oh, that's, uh, that's as, clear as, as clear as it happened as if it would have happened yesterday. Uh, we got off the train after a two- a two-day ride without any food, um, and we got off the train in the middle of the night in Auschwitz. Uh, we were immediately um, uh, taken on trucks uh, into the camp, into the main camp, and uh, we were put into a what was called a Czech family camp because we were from Czechoslovakia originally, and uh, the Czech family camp was a total hoax. It was uh, put together by the SS or by the Nazis as a ploy uh, to show the International Red Cross in case they were going to come through uh, to inspect Auschwitz. It was totally put together as an artificial ploy to show the Red Cross that uh, Jews are doing well, they are fine, they are alive, and they are being kept together as families, as grandparents, parents and children, and it was 10,000 of us, 10,000, 5,000 roughly that came in September of 1943, and then another 5,000 that came in December of 1943, and that was us, that we were part of the December transport, middle of December. How were you you selected for for that? I mean, that's a... Uh, The internet, this was total luck, uh, Glenn, this was absolutely... 
you're talking about life being sometimes full of luck. Well, my my life uh, was filled with three or four such lucky incidents. Uh, we at the International Red Cross apparently threatened the Germans that they were going to come through and inspect some of these camps. And, and as soon as they did that, uh, the idea, the SS had this idea that they'll put together an artificial camp uh, and show them at least 10,000 people that are alive and doing well. So we were lucky because we were the only two transports, the September 43 transport from Theresienstadt, which was the ghetto, and the December 1943 transport also from Theresienstadt, a total of roughly 10,000 people, grandparents, parents, children, wow. uh, that were put into this artificial joke of a camp. And, a, and I mean joke in a way that, not in a negative way, I no. mean it was just a pretense. And because we were put there, um, I, because I was part of it, I somehow survived. The first 5,000, uh, almost all of them were gassed in the following um, March or April of 1944 when the SS found out that the International Red Cross was not coming into Auschwitz. So the first transport of uh, almost 5,000 that came in September, they were gassed um, in the March-April period of 1944. And then our turn came up in July of 1944, and we had to go through what was called a selection, and a selection typically was a selection of whether you were going to end up on death row and end up in the gas chamber or if you were going to survive. And at that point, this was now spring of 19, uh, summer of 1944, at this point, uh, the SS became more selective in terms of who survives and who doesn't. In, uh, in regards to uh, using people for labor purposes. So uh, Germany was bombed severely by this time, and they needed workers both in factories and in rebuilding uh, Germany. And they were trying to save some of the healthy people uh, for basically for the purposes of slave labor. So when I went through the selection, uh, and my brother went through the selection, uh, we were both put on death row. We were both on the left side of the big table where Dr. Mengele and a couple of the other mm. SS people were uh, were choosing uh, the, the children that were going to live and that were going to die. And we were, and at this point, I did not know that I was in death row, but I was put on the left side of the table. And so was my brother who was limping at that point. He had a slight deformity, uh, on, and I believe it was his left leg. There was just a hair shorter than his right one, and he was limping. And as soon as Mengele saw him that he was limping, he put him on the left side of the table. And as soon as he saw me, who was at this point less than 12 years old, he put me also on the left side of the table. So I'm standing there with about 50 or 60 other children. And uh, I notice an older group of children, boys mostly, on the right side of the table, about 50 yards to the right of the table. And these were a little bit older boys, 14 and 15-year-olds. And suddenly, from out of nowhere, comes a prisoner, a fairly high-level German prisoner, not a Jewish prisoner, but a German prisoner, 
whom I worked for as a as a uh, as a runner as an assistant. I was running messages for him, and I knew him well, and he knew me very well. And so he came out from this crowd of prisoners and grabbed me, and quickly moved me into the older group of boys, and uh, and rapidly disappeared. And uh, this whole situation took about fifteen seconds. And at this point, I realized that I suddenly ended up on the proper side uh, of the table, that I came from death row, and that Willie Brockman, who was the prisoner, just moved me into the group of older boys that were going to survive. How did you deal with that, with looking at your brother on the other side of the table? I was, I was in shock, and I knew immediately that my brother was in deep trouble. I mean, I knew that uh, right away. That 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 when this whole scenario came came up, and I realized what was happening, I knew that he was in very did, serious trouble. Did you? At that point, about fifteen minutes later, I said goodbye to my mother. She said goodbye to me, uh, and we said um, we we spoke um, for about two or three minutes. And uh, she was convinced that I was going to survive, and she reminded me of my uncle, who at that time was living in New York City. And she said, make sure that you see uh, Uncle Frank, uh, who lives in New York City. Uh, And she decided at this point, I also said goodbye to my brother, and she decided at this point, uh, which I didn't know that she decided this, she didn't tell me, but she remained with my brother. She did not want to uh, let him go into the gas chamber by himself. So she basically volunteered to stay with him. And then st- she stayed with him, and she was gassed four days later on, uh, on July 11th, 1944. Okay, I need to take a break, Frank, and then we come back. Sure. Your, your mother, when she left you and before the gas chamber, she wrote a letter and handed it to a guard. For some reason, he got that letter to your father. You spent a lifetime not reading it. But when you did, uh, I can't imagine what your reaction was because my reaction was unbelievable. It is such a powerfully positive letter. Everyone needs to hear it. Let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. Wow, it kind of takes on a whole new feeling here uh, with 1-800-Flowers with the message of Mother's Day. What won't your mom do for you? I mean... Your mom probably would have done the same thing for you, and I know my wife would do the same thing with the kids. I just know her. That's how much our moms loved us and love us. Let's take care of all of the moms in our life. It is uh, Sunday. Do something special for your mom. Make sure that she knows you're thinking of her and that you wish you were at her table uh, if you can't be, or at least don't come empty-handed. Uh, 1-800-Flowers can uh, send your mom 24 multicolored roses plus a free glass vase. It starts at twenty nine ninety nine, uh, and it's available only at 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers.com. Multicolored roses, 24 of them. Perfect way to tell your mom that you, you love her. Breathtaking roses, 1-800-Flowers. 1-800-Flowers.com for twenty nine ninety nine. if you use the promo code BECK. But hurry, this offer expires on Thursday. 1-800-Flowers.com. Click on the radio icon and enter the promo code BECK. Glenn Beck Mercury. 
glad back. It's quite it's quite fascinating to be able to reach out and touch people who actually witnessed history, which is uh, one of my uh, new goals is to find people that have 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 seen things firsthand and can tell us about them firsthand. Uh, and we have Frank uh, Grunwald on with us. Uh, he is a, a Holocaust survivor. He, he was 11 at the time he was in Auschwitz. Wanted to talk to him today also because it's it's Mother's Day week. And his mother was a remarkable woman. And uh, and while she didn't survive Auschwitz, her words certainly did. And we're going to get to those here in, in just a second. Um, Frank, uh, I've only got a couple of minutes here, so I don't want to get into the letter yet. But let me ask you this. Did when you were there um, uh, at the camp, did did everyone know that the gas chambers existed? Did did you know what was happening? Yes. Yes, we uh, it was it was general knowledge that this was an extermination camp. Did you know and that? Even the, go ahead. Yeah, even the 11 year olds and 12 year olds knew it. And did did you when you were on the train? Did you know where you were going? And did you know that was? No, death? we had no clue. No, we had absolutely no clue. Uh, only a day or two after we arrived, we were told by the prisoners that were already there that this was Auschwitz, and uh, it was a terrible, terrible, uh, threat, terribly threatening place. It was full of smoke, full of human ash in the air, uh, full of smell. Uh, gray and very threatening in every possible way. Now, you not only had to, um, you you escaped uh, the death chamber. Um, you were freed by the Americans. When Correct. we when we come back, I, I want to read the letter from your mother and tell us how you came to read it yourself much later in life. And then your escape from the communists in Czechoslovakia and how you got here. A blessed life indeed and a remarkable mother and her letter to her son and husband when we come back. Glenn Beck Mercury Glenn Beck program. At 11 years old, he was known as Misa. He's now known as Frank. Frank Gun, uh, Gun, uh, Grunwald. And uh, his mom was Vilma. His dad was a doctor, Kurt uh, Grunwald. And uh, they found themselves in, of all places, Auschwitz as he's 11 years old along with his brother, who was handicapped and was separated from the family. His mother was then, uh, she chose to go to the death uh, chamber with uh, Frank's brother, her son, uh, and, and help him through that. But Frank, before she goes into the, the death chamber, she writes a note. Can you tell me about this? Yes, she wrote this very short uh, letter um, in pencil, 
to my dad, and she gave it um, just hours or minutes before uh, going into the gas chamber. She gave it to a guard, not to an SS uh, man, but to a military guard. And she was a good um, judge of, um, of of character, and she probably figured this person has got some compassion and, and he's going to deliver the letter, and he did. He delivered the letter, uh, the note, to my father, who was in a medical camp. Um, he was transferred because he was a physician to this medical camp. How do, how do you... She gave it to him. How do you... Have you have you really thought about who that man was and how he lived with... I mean, he obviously had compassion, but he was there knowing what was happening. I mean, oh, you, yeah. He uh, was there knowing what was happening. He was... a. Uh, he was a, uh, a passive uh, observer, obviously, uh, probably an elderly, I'm, judge, I'm just guessing, probably in his 50s or even early 60s, uh, too old to be sent uh, uh, as a military uh, a fighter uh, on the Eastern Front or the Western Front. Uh, so they made him into a concentration camp guard. And I think my mother could, could, could tell that this guy was not uh, brainwashed. He was too old when Hitler came to power to be. Uh, he was not a 12-year-old kid or a 9-year-old kid that could have been brainwashed. So she gave it to him, and, and she was right. Her judgment was absolutely perfect, and he gave, it to, he gave the note to my, to my father. So did you, were you told by your dad when he got the letter, or did, it, did he expose you to this knowledge after you got out of Auschwitz? After the war, when I was reunited with my dad after the war, after the um, American army liberated me in, uh, in May of 1945, I met with my ma- dad about four weeks later uh, in Austria. He picked me up by car. He found out where I was and picked me up. Mm. And, uh, and about a week or two, uh, shortly after that, he told me that he has a note uh, from my mother I never saw the note uh, till my father died in 1967. And you chose you, you chose not to read it, right? I chose not to read it. I was uh, I, I was too afraid that I was going to be too sad, and uh, I was still vulnerable at this point, and I really did not want to see it. Uh, and then after he died in 67, I found it in uh, in the desk of his drawer, one of his drawers. Uh, in his bedroom, and that's when I read it. And um, then you took it home, and you didn't expose or read it to anybody uh, for a few years after that, which... That's right. I think I, I think uh, several years later, maybe 10 or 15 years later, I shared it with my uh, wife. I never showed it to my sons um, till, till much later, till maybe 30 or 40 years after the war. And even then, I didn't intimately share it uh, in detail with them. Do you mind if I read it? Of course not. You, my only one dearest. In isolation, we are waiting for darkness. We considered the possibility of hiding, but decided not to do it since we felt it would be hopeless. The famous trucks are already here, and we're waiting for it to begin. I'm perfectly calm. You, my only and dearest one, do not blame yourself for what happened. It was our destiny. 
we did what we could. Stay healthy and remember my words that time will heal, if not completely, then at least partially. Take care of the little golden boy and don't spoil him too much with your love. Both of you stay healthy, my dear ones. I'll be thinking of you and Misa. Have a fabulous life. We must board the trucks. Into eternity, Vilma. Wow. What a remarkable woman. Uh, yeah, it's very powerful and very positive. Uh, there was never any anger or any uh, hatred uh, that she expressed against anyone, which was amazing to me. So you're reunited with your father. You go back to Czechoslovakia, and now you're living under the communists. Yeah, which was an absolute nightmare. We were living, uh, after being in a concentration camp for, for three years, we were living in another concentration camp, uh, which was the socialist, uh, communist uh, country of Czechoslovakia. It was an absolute nightmare. We did not get, we couldn't get the literature that we wanted. We could not get any Western newspapers. Uh, we were isolated uh, politically. Uh, we were uh, totally handicapped economically. And uh, my father uh, remarried after the war and his my stepmother, his new wife, uh, lived in London, and we decided that uh, she did not want to live under the communists. We did not want to live under the communists, so we decided to escape. How'd you do that? Uh, it was it was fantastic. It was again a huge stroke of luck. Uh, we, uh, my dad, uh, went to the um, met by accident. Met a man who worked on uh, the Ministry of Interior in Prague, in Czechoslovakia. And uh, this man was also uh, running away, escaping. This man had access to, uh, to passports, and he made a false passport for us and put me on the passport, which was illegal because you have to be under, under the age of 13 to be on somebody's passport. And I was already... Uh, 17 years old, but wow. he put me on the passport, and we escaped basically using a false uh, passport. Came to the United States, and how was Came that? To, yeah, to England first. Now, what was interesting about it was that uh, we got on a train in Prague, and there were only about 10 other people on that on that Pullman car train, and uh, and uh, we found out after we got through the border. We found out my dad was a doctor, of course, and there was a his 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 uh, the fact that he was a physician was on the passport. And after we got through the border, we found out that the other eight or nine people on the train were all physicians. They were all medical people going to a communist meeting in Milan, uh, wow. in Rome, Italy. In Rome, Italy. And when the inspector came in, when the guard came in to inspect everybody's passport. He assumed that my dad was with the other nine communist doctors going to a communist meeting in, in Rome, Italy. Wow. So it was a total, totally coincidental. Wow. Have you had a good life? Yes. Yes, thank you. I have. It's been a happy yeah. life? I think so. I've had a lot of uh, unfortunate memories uh, and, uh, and daily flashbacks of the uh, of the war and of the concentration camp and 
those flashbacks are just uh, you know very intrusive and they come they come every 15 minutes or every hour but other than that i've had a very good life wow frank thank you so much for sharing this thanks for sharing your mom uh with the world and uh and her outlook on life it's inspiring yes she 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 actually gave me a lot of strength i think as a result of her you know uh education and her her influence i've had a good life because i've gained a lot of strength from her frank thank you so much god bless you and your your family Thank you so much. Thank you. You Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. It was a pleasure. Bye. It's mine. Uh, He's in his upper 80s now and uh, doesn't sound it at all Uh, and um, has, I think, four children and several uh, grandchildren and seems happy. That letter, though. Seems happy. That's incredible. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. The... uh the, uh, it was from the Indie Star, right? This is the article yeah. you read initially yeah. uh, called Into Eternity. Uh, she did not survive the Holocaust, but her words did. Uh, and it's worth reading and passing around. It's beautiful. Mm. And you can see the actual letter. It's now he, he didn't show it to anybody for the longest time. And yeah. then I wonder if somebody told him or if he just started to think, you know, maybe everybody else should see this and share this too. So he donated it to the um, Holocaust Museum and it is in Washington, D.C., but I wanted to share that um, with you for a couple of reasons. One, we're trying to talk to people who actually experienced whatever it was, moonshot, whatever. I, I want to talk to the people who lived history before they pass. Um, and I thought this was a very unique look uh, at that time period. Um, and it's Mother's Day. And the idea that his mother could have lived, his mother just had to leave her other son who uh, you know was cripple on the other side of the table with Mangala but she chose to go to the other side to comfort him and to not leave him in that terrifying experience what an amazing amazing woman remember your mom Mother's Day is Sunday All right, we've all seen volatility in the stock market, and one of the reasons investors are becoming a little panicked is because of rising inflation. Now, one of the few investments that can thrive with inflation is gold, and it's probably the major reason why I own it. Um, I don't worry about day-to-day inflation. I, I worry about what's happening in Venezuela, that you wake up one day and your dollars are worthless, and you don't have any assets to protect you. Now, if you think this can't happen, look around. Um, Zimbabwe is one of the countries. Goldline, by the way, is giving you a free Zimbabwean $10 billion bill just for calling and speaking to one of their account executives about the benefits of owning gold. You have to have one. Keep it in your wallet because people will say all the time, oh, you know, that can't happen. Really? Here's a $10 billion bill. They're doing it now in Venezuela. It happens. Uh, usually happens when the government tries to take control and control the economy and uh, and they don't stop spending and they just start printing their way out of debt and it doesn't work ever. Hmm. Gosh, that sounds familiar. There's another country doing that now, but let's move on and just say, be prepared for whatever could come your way. 
Goldline is the only company I trust for myself and for my family. Call and find out how easy it is to buy and own gold and silver at 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, or goldline.com. Call them now. They're going to give you $10 billion Zimbabwean dollars, uh, a $10 billion note just for calling. Goldline.com. Read their important risk information. Make sure gold is right for you. 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. An important election update from West Virginia. Uh, Mr. Blankenship, who spent a year in prison for, uh, you know, his responsibility of uh, some uh, many of his uh, workers in the the coal mine that he owned, uh, died due to negligence, his negligence. He's running now for the Senate for the Republicans, and he's just released a new ad. Uh, which I hope is as good as the last ad. Here it is. This is Don Blankenship, candidate for U.S. Senate. The establishment politicians are getting desperate and more hostile. They are calling me a bigot, a moron, a despicable character, and mentally ill. But even if all this is true, I will do a better job than they have done. They have resorted to this childish name-calling because they don't want us to focus on the issues. The issues are that we need more West Virginia jobs, we need to end the drug crisis, and we need an honest government. We do not need more childish behavior like you may have witnessed at the Fox debate. The fake news is also pretending to be offended by my use of the words China people. They seem not to realize that China is a country, not a race. The establishment has given millions of our jobs to China people and left many West Virginia people to fend for themselves. Send me to the Senate and I will represent West Virginia people, not China people. I am an America person and I will put America first. Paid for by Donald So he just, he essentially seems to just put people after all of the places they reside. Yeah, it's like people from West Virginia. Instead, he calls them West Virginia people. Mm-hmm. You know, people from China. They're putting people from China first. They're putting China people first. Yeah, it's, it's, it's economy of words. It sure and is. Uh, <laughs> and he's an America person. Yeah. Which he wants you to know. Right. Um, I like the fact that he says, <laughs> they're calling me mentally Ill, Ill, even if all this is true. <laughs> but you know what? I'm that's, a bigot. That's actually my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a Because you're kind of, you're, you're like, yeah, that's true. That's probably true. Essentially, even a bigot, an insane bigot could do a better job than yeah. they're doing. Which right. Is an, uh, which is probably... At least worth consideration of being true. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it gets uh, it's it's a little crazy. You read through these the election reviews as I've gone through the last few days, and and you you there's no obvious choice to me in any of these things. I have no idea which one of these guys would be good, or they're all they're all kind of doing the same thing, which is I mean, there's one candidate who's bringing cardboard cardboard cutouts of Donald Trump to the rallies with him. Which I guess the Trump campaign had to say, hey, uh, we didn't endorse you, so you can't. <laughs> Don't bring the cut out of it. I didn't say you did. <laughs> no, you just I just. <laughs> I travel around with a mannequin and a cardboard cutout of whoever is president. It was harder for me to get people's attention on the right when I was traveling around with Barack Obama's cardboard cutout. 
But that's just the way <laughs> I roll. Back. Mercury. Okay, anybody remember the Promise Program? This was the initiative adopted by the Department of Education under Barack Obama. Basically keeps teenage criminals out of jail and back in classrooms. And the rationale is, if we counsel teenagers instead of arresting them for committing small crimes, those teens could avoid developing a criminal record at such an early age. I personally think that makes sense as long as you're coupling it with common sense. This way, they have more of a fighting chance to escape the life of crime that society, you know, and if you're on the left, especially Republicans, want to pigeonhole minority students into. We know that what we're doing isn't working. But one of the things we're also adding to this bonfire is the fact that um, we're losing common sense. You must couple this with common sense. Now, Broward County School District says the program, quote, focuses on the situation as being the problem rather than the individual being the problem. Okay, that no, uh -uh. Mm -mm. no, sometimes, most times it's the individual. In fact, almost every time it's the individual. It is your fault if you make a bad choice. Now, what are we going to do about it? We'll give you another chance. Because you've, you know, had a difficult upbringing or whatever, we're going to work with you. Not all the time. That's where common sense comes in. Now, the reason why I'm talking about this is after the high school shooting in Parkland, there were many questions about the shooter and the dozens of warning signs that apparently the authorities just missed. Well, how is it that really the police were called? He went over to the shooter's house as many as 45 times, and yet he still has access to firearms? What is that? How's that possible? Well, even Senator Marco Rubio dared to ask whether the shooter had been part of the Promise program. Well, in the days after the tragedy, Broward County School District Superintendent Robert Runsey repeatedly insisted, no, uh -uh, no connection. There's no, he was never a Promise program. Absolutely not. Well, over the weekend, the school district meekly admitted, well, no one was listening, that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, in fact, he was a part of the uh, Brahmas program. He was uh, part of that since uh, 2013. He was vandalized. Could you speak up just a little bit? Uh, no, I really can't. He was just vandalizing his middle school in 2013. Okay. Did he ever attend the program? Well, we don't, we don't, we don't know that. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. So... You took his behavior and his criminal activity and you swept them under the rug. And you prevented him from showing up on any criminal background check. Forty-five times police are called to the house. Now, Superintendent Robert Runcie, are you incompetent? Or were you lying about the school's connection to the Promise program? See, you know what the problem here is? This is beginning to seem like this was... Almost a group of people getting together right after the shooting and going, how do we spin this? Because, boy, are we in deep crap? Because we, we've already found out that the sheriff's office, that's dirty. 
we know now that the the school superintendent and the 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 school district that's clearly dirty. What else are you guys covering up? Did you tear the entire country apart to save your butt? Well, he was likely at least covering his backside because the Promise program is his baby. He developed the program in 2013, so this is one of his first students. He's the guy who actually developed it, and it caught the eye of the Obama administration. So if the Obama Education Department liked it, you can't take it down there in that county. You can't take down the guy who started it because that might make people question it around the rest of the world. Oh. Superintendent Robert Runcie, Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel. Are they going to be held accountable for their lack of candor? About their out-and-out lies? About the Promise program when it comes to the Parkland shooter and other lies? Because I warn you, if they're not held accountable, it will reinforce the key flaw in the Promise program. Absolving individuals from any responsibility for their own actions. It's Tuesday, May 8th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So, I don't know if you heard the White House correspondent April Ryan talking on CNN about Melania Trump. In fact, Sarah, if we have that audio, could you play that, please? This is uh, from yesterday. There are a lot of realities that she's dealing with. Um, this is this is a first lady who is not um, culturally um, American, but she whoa, is whoa, stop, learning stop, stop, the ways. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, what was it? Could you play that again? This first lady is not what? A lot of realities that she's dealing with. Um, this is this is a first lady who is not um, culturally um, American, but she whoa, is hang learning. On just a second. Now here is. Here is April Ryan. I'm watching her on TV. She's a she's a black reporter. And she has just said that the first lady is not culturally American. Holy cow. Well, I'm just trying to be consistent here. April, why are you so racist? How dare you say that somebody in the in the White House is not culturally american what do you mean by that what exactly do you mean that is that code language that because she's white are you a racist april for for saying that we know you are i'm going to give you a chance to respond are you just a racist or are you do you also hate all foreigners there's two things we know that you cannot say yes. about someone in the White House. Number one, you can't say that they're not culturally American. Yeah, then- you can't say. So in other words, let me just see if I have this right, mm-hmm. Stu. See, mm-hmm. Make sure I'm on the right track here. Let's say you have somebody in the White House that, was, that grew up in a distant land. Not Canada, Europe or Asia, let's say. Mm-hmm. Okay? Maybe Indonesia, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. And grew up and spent all of their time, so they didn't have the, you know, the 4th of July parades, and they, they didn't grow up in America, so they didn't have that same experience, so they weren't fully culturally American. Now, are you saying that they're a bad person because they no, didn't have I'm not. Okay. No, I'm just, mm-hmm. I'm just pointing out that they don't have the same experiences, which then... 
my gosh, creates a sense of otherness, which is racist. Mm -hmm. So again, I go back to April. As a black woman looking at a white woman, why are you creating this sense of otherness? Why is it you are holding her out like this and and focusing on her otherness? She's absolutely American. All of us are American. No matter what your background was, no matter how long you've been here, we're all Americans, April. Boy, I I love playing the progressive game because it's so easy. <laughs> it is really fun. It's fun and easy. Because you're just constantly accusing people of things that you're guilty of. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like that, that is the progressive way. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can sit there and, and say that it's okay to say those things now because it's, and the, but I never got to number two, but the other two, number two thing you can never do is call a president racist. I can never, mm. ever, ever do something like that. No, 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 completely no. off limits. Didn't you hear? There's been a revision of this at the Entertainment and Technology Summit in New York City for Variety magazine. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. this isn't this is not some backwoods hick show. This is powerful, right? right? Variety Entertainment and Technology Summit in New York City. So Don Lemon said it's tough when you have more respect for the office than the person who's sitting in the office. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is tough, isn't mm-hmm. it? All you have to do is look at the evidence. He went on to list what he called evidence, such as Trump's insistence that former President Barack Obama was not born in the U.S. and comments about immigrants from Mexico who are rapists. Lemon also mentioned Trump's comments on the Charlottesville protesters who he described as fine people. Critical thinking is important as a journalist. And if you cannot surmise that this president, if he's not a racist, he certainly is racist uh, adjunct. Uh, uh, adjunct if you if you have the evidence that shows you that indicates that leads you to nothing else but this president being a racist then i feel it's my obligation as a journalist to say it so i didn't call the president a racist i said I think this guy has a, a, a deep-seated hatred. Something's wrong. And maybe I was thinking out loud. I'm not really sure. I should have said maybe it's his... Hang on just a second. That he's not fully culturally American. And surely they would have been completely okay They would have been with fine with that. Because I, I said, he's not a racist. He has a deep-seated problem with the white culture. Meaning the American culture. The American culture has traditionally been that white waspy kind of culture that everybody says is so oppressive. Now, they didn't know what white culture was. You know, when I said that, you know, they were all, what do you mean by white culture? You know, the one that you say is oppressive. And the one he wrote in his book. Correct. When he used the words white culture in that order. Yeah. And he also said that's the way white people will do you. (laughs) You know, I I can play the same things that Don Lemon did. He just chose not to see what I saw. 
He just chose because he liked his policies and trusted him. He just said, well, there's not a problem. He's not like that. Okay, but can you take a second and see how others might say, hmm, I think he might be a racist. I think he might have a problem with white culture. I think he is not culturally American. Yeah, and, and this is a, it's an interesting tie to the, a big story in the New York Times today about the intellectual dark web. Um, it's a it's kind of a profile of a lot of people you've heard on this show, right? The people who we've had on as guests who are talking about a lot of these issues that are divisive um, and can be controversial, but they talk about them in a civilized and, and smart way. Uh, and you and, and the spectrum is interesting because there, it's not all conservatives. People think, oh, well, because Ben Shapiro is part of it or Glenn Beck's part of it or whoever is part of it. It's all conservatives and it's all these people. It's not. It's Jordan, not. I mean, Jordan Peterson, I don't know that you'd necessarily look at him and say he's a hardcore conservative. He's coming out and saying, hey, here's what I think about these issues. Here's why I think this is obvious. He certainly pushes back against the left. Um, but there are people who are in that group as well that are on the left. But they're all racist adjacent, though, aren't they? They probably are adjacent they're, to racism. Yeah, they're, it's all adjacent to racism. <laughs> but that's the point here is that, like, you could say, I think fairly, right? You could look at, at, at Glenn Beck's comments on Fox News all those years ago about the president being racist and say, you know what? I don't think he is racist. Here's why. That's never what happened. No, they called me a racist. They just said you were, and, and I think, by the way, still to this day, probably the only person in history who was called a racist for calling someone else a racist. Because, I mean, Al Sharpton has called people racist for 100 million years with no evidence on any of them. And no one ever Nobody went back cares. to him and said, hey, the Nobody reason cares. you're a racist is because yeah. you've used that word. No. But, but Boeing is, though, that, is, that could have been an, an interesting intellectual conversation. Should have been. Right? I mean, you know, it, it was such an interesting intellectual conversation that Barack Obama spent a very large part of his book talking about his struggles, his struggles about trying to find his identity as it related to the people around him, the communist professors, the people who were a race activists, and trying to say, here's a guy who had a white mom. I didn't connect with all that stuff, and I, but I still found myself agreeing with a lot of it. And he struggled through his life, which is one of the reasons he, he wrote the book in the first place. It could have been a really interesting conversation if people approached it civilly and didn't just try to boycott you the well, second when you, you said it. When you, say, when you say things like he did in his book, that his grandmother had a fear of black people bred into her, <laughs> that's a racist statement. That was, yeah, that was in an interview. But yeah, I mean, he was talking about his history. Yeah, that's right. That was an interview. That was an interview. Yeah, but I mean, those were the kinds of things. Right. Now, if if I could quote Don Lemon, if, if you might not agree, but I can list the evidence that makes one think that way, and isn't it isn't critical thinking important as a journalist? Now, Don Lemon, I like Don. He's yeah. a fine guy. He's he's nice. You've had, and you've had good conversations. Yeah, with and him. I don't yeah. agree with him very often, but I, he's a nice guy. Um, I, I will tell you this, though. Wait a minute, Don, because you raked me over the coals for the same thing. Now, I haven't raked you over the coals because I can see how somebody might think that. I don't think that's who he is, but I can understand that. You'd like to have a conversation. That's great. But let's have the full conversation. Can you understand how other people might have thought that way? And the same thing with April Ryan. April. 
You never gave anyone the benefit of the doubt. You immediately, I guarantee it, would have thought anybody who said, well, Barack Obama isn't culturally American, you would have gone crazy. And surely did. I mean, I... I, I I, I don't remember April from that era. I don't even know who um, she is. She's, a, she's not actually a CNN. She's just a contributor to CNN. She's yeah. the White House uh, correspondent for the American Urban Radio Networks. Um, but still, I mean, like, it's it's a, it's a, it's an understandable thing to react the way that so many people do. You jump to defend your team, to defend mm-hmm. your flag, to defend mm-hmm. whatever your side is and attack the other side because that's the way people do things. But again, I think what, what the story today in the New York Times is talking about with the intellectual dark web is a, is a way for people to approach these issues and actually do it in a sane, calm, civil, so, smart way. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the intellectual dark web. And for instance... Did you see the Catholic-themed Met Gala mm. last night? Mm. Most people didn't, thank God. But you do need to look at it for a second, and let's have a reasonable conversation, especially about, you know, the appropriation of other people's culture. Okay, the head of FEMA came out and said, uh, by the way, we're not a first responder. You are the first responder. So are you prepared to jump into action if the situation demands it? Hurricanes, wildfires. It could be active in less than a month. Hawaii. These guys, I love the, I love the attitude of Hawaii. They're like, yeah, yeah, well, there's a volcano here, so things happen. You just got to move with it. <laughs> I think this is great. Securing food storage makes you a first responder. Do you have your food storage? My Patriot Supply has top-rated food kit that millions of Americans have chosen to get prepared for the inevitable disaster. Their popular four-week emergency food supply is only $99, now for a limited time. That's a low price for your security and peace of mind. It's shipped free to your door, so take action right now. It's 800-271-63 or go online with preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. The food will last uh, up to 25 years. It's only $99. 1-800-271-63-800-271-63 or preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. back you know i i I know nobody pays attention to the met gala but i think we should it's it's one of fashion's biggest events of the year uh and uh this year it was um put on your sunday best because it's catholic theme Oh, that's appropriate. Yeah. Now, how many how many people do you think that attend the gala and run the gala are deep practicing Catholics? No more than uh, point zero zero <laughs> zero zero percent. Yeah. No more okay. than that. So. So they all came out yesterday. Uh, one was one celebrity was in a leather bondage mask that was draped in rosary beads. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the rosary to Catholics is a really sacred thing. It's not a 
party uh, attire? No, it's Asa- not. Um, you know, it's an accessory uh, that you go out on a no. night of the town. Uh-uh. Okay, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. it's actually that would be that would be taking somebody's culture and mocking it. Would it be appropriate? Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Now maybe Rihanna dressed as the Pope in a very short skirt. That might be appropriation of uh, culture. But okay, right? Because it was... I'm see, I'm having a hard time with this. I'm trying Hmm. to figure out how it is that they're okay with this and we're okay with this and just let them get away with it while they yell at us about Cinco de Mayo. Mercury... You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. I'm sending uh, two of our best writers uh, over to Israel uh, this week, and I would ask that you would cover them in prayer, uh, as it is. Uh, it could be very dicey. Next next week is the 75th anniversary. We open the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem next week. Palestinians are not happy with this. Uh, also, we are on the verge of, I think, pulling out of the Iranian deal, which will not make the Iranians and, and those in the Middle East happy. Um, we're just in a very precarious situation here in the next few days. And we want to remember, you know, why Israel is there in the first place. 75 years. It's the first 75 years that the Jewish people have had a place to call home where no one could take their guns. No one could say, no, 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 you you have to live over here. Or, no, no, no. They for the very first time in 2000 years, they have control over their own life. And everyone has a has a right to defend themselves. You can't. Re- I don't think you can understand the importance uh, to the Jewish people of their own homeland Unless you go through uh, Auschwitz or or one of the concentration camps and you realize that that wasn't the first time. That was, I think, the 24th time that there had been an extermination attempt of the Jews. Um, there is a, um, a filmmaker. Uh, his name is John Keane. He has done uh, a couple of films and he seems to be a really thoughtful guy that is searching uh, for more than just the regular story. Uh, and he's got a new film out. It's called After Auschwitz. And, it, and what it is, is it's a, it's a story of the women who came here to America. They survived. They came here and their life here in America and how they first perceived it, how they, they wept when they saw the Statue of Liberty. And then what their experience was like and how it was kind of left in the closet uh, for a very long time. John, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks so much, Glenn. I appreciate that. Sure. You're you're a guy who um, has taken on, I mean, you've taken a controversial uh, stance with, you know, swimming at Auschwitz, um, or, or it was a controversial film, I should say, when it came out. Um, and now you're, you're uh, uh, embracing um, uh, this message, which I have never heard this angle before, and I think it's really important uh, for at least for Americans. What is it you're looking for? What is it you were? What is it you're looking for? Well, well, and, and to just address the first thing real quick, I think swimming in Auschwitz. The only thing that was controversial about it was the fact that I was studying laughter as a survival tool. Yeah, 
and people thought I was maybe being uh, not, not recognizing the horrors, which right. is farthest from the truth. Right. For this film, you know, we, as, we, we tend to study history as just ending. Holocaust, 39 to 45, you're free, go home, that chapter's over, move on. And we never stop to think about what happens next. And I think it's something that we do in our natural, our, our consciousness as a country. We tend to study something, study something, and then we just fly away to the next thing, you know, the ADD history. I think that we, uh, you know, this has been a fascination of mine. I think it's why we haven't really healed as a nation all of the wounds that we have to heal. Um, you know, after Lincoln was killed, we just moved on. After Martin Luther King was killed, we just kind of moved on. Uh, right, and, right. If and, you don't have the conversations about what happened, about what you're facing, you don't move on. That's a th- that's a major theme of the film. So I remember the World War II generation. I'm old enough to have grown up with grandparents that lived through it, and they didn't want to talk about it. Uh, but your film, your film follows uh, th- these women who came here, and you know, each led their own life. But they had kind of a different experience. It wasn't that necessarily they didn't want to. Nobody wanted to talk to them. Exactly. They wanted to talk. They came here assuming they would talk about what happened. And they were either told that what they did was wrong after liberation or, you know, hey, don't, don't talk about it. You're in America. Put it behind you as if everything could be okay by that. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a great sense of denial that they had to face for 35 plus years until we as a country started asking what happened. I was amazed to see in the in the film that it was really one of the things they talked about as as a changing point in in them talking about their experiences was a TV miniseries. Yeah, can you can yeah. you walk us through that? Well, there's a there was a miniseries in '78 that came out on NBC called The Holocaust: Family of the Story Weiss, and it was NBC's response to Roots. Roots was so successful, NBC wanted their miniseries, so they they commissioned this one because it was close to being ready on a different project. And that project not only changed America, it was the second highest program at that time, it changed Holocaust education in Germany. And the Germans started addressing their history as well because of that film. It's not a great film. It's very rudimentary, and, 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 but, but it, it, it started a conversation. So in Germany, do you think people didn't talk about it because, I mean, you, you didn't know, uh, you know what you were going to find in your own family if you weren't Jewish? You didn't know if you had a relative that was, you know, I don't want to ask mom and dad what they were, what they were thinking. Exactly. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or grandpa. Yeah. Germany's a fa- I don't know if you've traveled to Berlin uh, or spent some time in Germany. It's a fascinating place because they have so many things to commemorate the Holocaust, so many monuments, so many buildings, but none of them have signage on them. It's like they've, 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 they've gone 90% of the way, but just can't do that last little bit. Even the Hitler bunker, um, there's no real signage to it. It's a sign facing away to a parking lot because they don't want to advertise it. They don't want to make it a, a flashpoint for something else. So it's barely recognized. You have to know what you're looking for. It's a fascinating place. So what did you find with these women? <laughs> I, I found they've made me a better person. They really have. They've made me look at life differently. I, I was in New York a few months ago, looked at the Statue of Liberty for the first time, and it meant something to me. I, I've been seeing the Statue of Liberty since I was born, and I've never had a visceral reaction to it. I did for the first time two months ago. Why? Because it meant something different to me. Now, it meant what it was intended to mean. It, it meant we, we are welcoming the, the tired and the poor, and I can't remember the whole poem now, and oh, I should. Yeah. <laughs> but before, it was just a place I went to for school field trips 
or the place that you looked at across the, across the water when you were doing something else in New York. They've given me a perspective. I'm seeing, I see the world through different eyes, and that's what we need to do. We need to try to see what other people are seeing sometimes. Um, communication. Tell me, tell me, tell me about their their view of America before they got here, and then after they got here, and and <laughs> started to to age some here. Right. Well, America was 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 the golden land. The streets were paved with gold. We live in castles. America was this was this fantasy to them, and and they got here, and you know you're living in Hoboken or you're living in Allentown or you're living in Detroit. And it's one foot in front of the other. It's no fantasy. It's just survival day to day. How do I pay my rent? Um, you lost almost the whole cast during this filming. Mm. This has taken you how long? Six, six years, seven years? The idea was 15 years in the making. The film itself was probably about four or five. And so, and the, and, yeah. And so tell me, tell me about how you selected them and then how you lost them one by one. Yeah, it, you know, I, I started out for the first film, Swimming in Auschwitz, which I told you, laughter as a, as a survival tool. Didn't work as a movie, but I had 18 survivors on camera. The women stood out to me. I'd never heard stories of war from female point of view. And women, I'll generalize here, have much more emotional depth than men do. They tap into relationships, communication, and they're much more fun to interview, I find. Uh, you've interviewed more people than I have. Maybe you, you have a different, different take. No, I, I would agree with you. Yeah, generally so the, speaking, the women just just jumped off the screen to me. They're beautiful. Their stories are incredible. They're powerful. I just went with it, and I, you can't get away from it. When you find somebody who you're that tied to, you just can't get away. And yeah, we've lost three. We have uh, we have three ladies with us still, and it, you know we're we're getting to this time where we're not going to have firsthand witnesses. It's a terrifying time. So we're doing all the work we can do now. So, I mean, kudos to you for getting, getting this story out there. We all, we've all got to tell this story while we have the witnesses. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, you know Tokyo Rose, I, I own her microphone. And, uh, uh, and, you know, when you know the story of Tokyo Rose, who was horribly wronged by the press here in the United States, uh, there were six or seven Tokyo Roses. The one we know was actually a patriot, and she served two prison sentences, one in, in Japan and one here, and uh, finally was pardoned in the 70s. Um, but it, uh, you know, when I really kind of found her story, she had only died about three years before, and I thought, man, my whole life I could have interviewed yeah. her. I could have talked to her. Yeah, and I, I, it's this yeah, new kind of feeling for me. On I, I want to talk to people who who lived it, whatever it was, I want to, they saw it with their own eyes. Tell yeah. me about it. I, that, you're, you're so right. You cannot ask questions of a grave. You cannot. So when you're with people, the other thing too is, oh, I don't want to ask the survivor that question. It might bring up the past. It might bring up bad memories. The past and bad memories are there. You don't have to bring it up. They, they yeah. have it in their blood. That's in their DNA. Yeah. But when you ask them a question, they are connected. They're connected to you. They're part of our world. They want... I've had questions with survivors about being next to a gas chamber, seeing your family walk into a, a, a gas chamber, about sex, about what, what you saw in camps, physicality, abuse. Um, in the film, we mentioned just the, just the rampant sexual abuse of women at Liberation. Yeah. These are heavy conversations to have, but they frame going forward when you see what people can become in their lives after what they've been through. We all move on from trauma. We all choose how we're going to move on from trauma. The resiliency is there. Yeah. You only learn that by asking questions. Yeah. There's it, nothing wrong with asking a question of somebody. They can always just say, I'd rather not say. 
One uh, uncomfortable topic that you kind of cover is Mm -hmm. the women come to the United States and they're not sure whether they want to build families here. Right. Uh, what, what, What did you find? Well, why would you want to put a child into the world that did that to you? How can you protect that child ever? I, 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 don't, know, I don't know if you have children, Glenn. I know when I, my kids were born, it's this odd feeling of I must you know, pop a bear. I must protect these little helpless mm-hmm. beings. And I never had the Nazis knock on my door. Yeah, I have so they, I have four children, and it never gets easier. I'm still right, thinking that they're you know my, right. my eldest is thirty, and I'm still thinking that <laughs> I'm still thinking that. Uh, but, but so, so we all have that. They just have it in spades. Yeah, we're talking to uh, we're talking to John Keeney, the director of uh, After Auschwitz. John, the movie obviously starts with such tragedy, right? One of the worst things yeah. that's ever happened on the planet. But do you consider it to be in some ways a happy movie? You know, I consider it to be a movie about life, and, and I choose to believe that life is happy. Um, have you, have you ever, I don't know if you were ever a fan of Jim Valvano. There's a speech that he makes uh, before he passes away, and he says, every day you should think, you should have your emotions move you to tears, mm-hmm. and you should laugh. Mm-hmm. He says, that's a heck of a day. Laugh, think, cry. And that's life. To me, that's life. Doing it all in a day is a long journey, but that's this film to me. I'm not scared of that. John, thank you. Thank you for making the film. Thanks for talking to us. Appreciate oh, it. I really appreciate it. Good talking to you. Good talking to you. AfterAuschwitz.com uh, is uh, where you can find out more about it. Uh, John Keane is the director. All right. Your mom. I, you know, I want you to spend some time just thinking about your mom. What, what are the things that you have gained from your mother. I have, I gained so much from my mother. She is still such a part of me. She died when I was, you know, 15 years old. She's still a part of me and almost everything that I do. I got my creativity. I've got uh, the way I, I walk fast when I'm walking down a street. I walk super, super fast. I got that from my mother. She got that from her father. I mean, she's such a part of my life. If you are lucky enough to still have your mom, do something nice for her. It's Sunday, Mother's Day. 1-800-Flowers will give you 24 multicolored roses plus a free glass vase starting at twenty nine ninety nine. That's a really great offer. Bright, beautiful mix of premium roses and rainbow of colors. They are guaranteed to make her smile. She's going to love it. Multicolored roses for Mother's Day breathtaking beautiful roses 1-800 flowers picked at their peak shipped overnight you pick your delivery date i would recommend that it's saturday or sunday uh for 29.99 this offer ends on thursday so do it now mother's day is this weekend for all of the mothers in your life go to 1-800 flowers.com 1-800 flowers.com click on the radio icon and enter the promo code beck at 1-800-Flowers.com, promo code BECK to get this offer, and this offer does end Thursday. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. A recent study conducted by Cornell and the University of Michigan has researchers baffled after finding that climate change skeptics are more likely to engage in sustainability efforts 
in their everyday lives than global warming alarmists. <laughs> Entitled Believing in Climate Change but Not Behaving, uh, evidence from a one-year longitudinal study published by the Journal of Environmental, Psycho- Environmental Psychology, the study of 600 people divided uh, participants into three groups according to their beliefs on climate change, either highly concerned, cautiously worried, or skeptical. Researchers concluded that the respondents who identified themselves as highly concerned were most supportive of government climate policies, but least likely to report individual level actions, whereas the skeptical opposed policy solutions, but were the most likely to report engaging in individual level pro-environmental behaviors. Hmm. That so makes... everyone can do their little part. Uh, so you're welcome, alarmist, for us skeptics carrying you. Yes, exactly right. Amazing. Well, that you know, that goes back to the George Bush's house. Remember that whole controversy back against John Kerry back in 2004, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And, and Al Gore's house. Al Gore uses more than what 12, 21 times, 21 times more energy than the average home. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And every year that comes out again. That and, same story. It's not the same story. They just keep finding the new numbers on it. And I am I am skeptical of climate change. I mean, I'll believe the numbers. I'm skeptical more of of the scientists. Uh, and their science than actual science. And more than that, the solutions yeah. applied to whatever that science finds. Correct. So I know that if we're going to do something, we have to do it ourselves. I, I live in a very, well, I don't live in it. My 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 ranch is very green. I'm not going to put solar panels down here. It's not going to do it. It's not going to do it. It's Texas. Against the law in Texas. Yeah, you want an fined. oil. I want an <laughs> oil rig in my front yard here in Texas. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio, by the way, has sent out for pizza to New York and had it flown in to California. Oh, that's a, I like him now. Glenn Beck, Mercury.